We're in the middle of a series about our soul and how do we take care of this one and only soul that we have. And we've been talking about the fact that our soul is the most important part of us. A few weeks ago, we used a, a, a metaphor that the soul is sort of like the operating system of your life. And it combines your will and your body and your thoughts together. And it's, it, it is really kind of who you are in totality. And today we're going to talk about soul motivation. We're going to look at this great sort of motivating speech that Jesus gives to his followers. And those of us who claim Christ as our leader, then he is motivated to uh, compel us to do things too. And there's nothing like a coach giving a great motivational speech. I used to give them to my kids all the time when they were about to play a game or something. I would tell them things like, you know, you can do this or... Uh, this is going to be awesome, or you know, uh, work on the things you've been practicing, don't get discouraged. Uh, my favorite thing to yell at them when they were, or not at them, to them, uh, when they were playing would be, you know, be somebody, be somebody, because um, they were a vest and they had to, you know, a name to uphold, that kind of thing. And uh, I, I have a video clip of this really kind of great um, motivational speech from a movie called Remember the Titans. You may know that movie, you probably do. Let's watch it, and then we're going to kind of jump into what Jesus said to motivate us. Song's over, Sambo. I audibled. Rabbi, I swear to God, I audibled. I didn't hear. All right, fellas, coming through. Swear to God. Let's take a look at that, son. Well, he broke a bone in the wrist. He won't be thrown any more this season. Ah. You got one minute, though. Take the other turn now, coach. Ronnie Bass! Coach, Red's going back in, man. Not a quarterback, son. I can't make that pitch, coach. Yes, you can. When I was 15 years old, I lost my mother and my father in the same month, Ronnie. Same month. Twelve brothers and sisters. I was the youngest one, but they were all looking up to me. Now, I wasn't ready yet either, but they needed me. Your team needs you tonight. You're the colonel. You're going to command your troops tonight. You understand? Twins right, 48-0 read. Let's go. Let's go. What's the matter? Haven't you ever seen a football injury before, you wimps? Let's go. Show some life in those legs. I got it. It's going to be all right. But you released this time. Louis, let him through, all right? What? Just let him through. Trust me. You had 12 brothers and sisters? Eight. Yeah, 12 sounds better. Quick ball, 
Game ball. Ronnie Bass. Hey, this ball right here goes to the real king right here. Thanks for teaching me the veer, Rev. Oh, God. Okay, so the gist of every good motivational speech is you can do it. It's going to be tough, but you can do it. I mean, that's kind of the, the way these all go is, hey, this is, uh, the mountain is high and you're not equipped, but you can do this. It's kind of what they all look like. And, and Jesus has been working with this band of disciples, sort of his merry men. And there were 12 of them, and he hung out with them and for 24 hours a day, seven days a week. These guys followed their rabbi. This is what it looked like to be a follower of a rabbi. They watched him do stuff, like turn water to wine. They they saw him raise people from the dead. They saw him drive out demons. They saw him uh, create uh, food where there was just little food. I mean, he multiplied things. He did stuff that was amazing. And Jesus is about to send his troops into battle. And he gives them this speech. They were in Matthew chapter 10. And it starts out great, frankly. I mean, it's awesome. The beginning is great. Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. I mean, that's great news. There's nothing like it. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, cast out demons, give as freely as you have received. I mean, holy smokes, wouldn't you like to be commissioned to do some of this? uh, To heal the sick? To raise the dead? I mean, you'd be kind of popular, you'd think, to uh, cure people of leprosy, to cast out demons. I mean, one would expect the very... Shoot, my my wife would just wish I was commissioned to uh, pick up my dirty clothes. I mean, this is awesome, right? And and so these are the things you're commissioned to go do. And so the very next thing you expect to hear from Jesus is, and everyone will accept you. Because, good grief, if you do that stuff for people, how are they not going to like you? Uh, You're going to be very popular. You you can expect great success. This should be what Jesus says next. It's not what Jesus says next. In fact, it's kind of dark. But beware. What? what? You're going to go heal people. You're going to do good things. You're going to tell them about the kingdom of God. But beware. For you'll be handed over to the courts and will be flogged with whips in the synagogues. You'll stand trial before governors and kings because you're my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell the rulers and unbelievers about me. My strategy is you're going to go into enemy territory and they're going to beat the snot out of you. This is the speech. They're going to arrest you. They're going to flog you. Then you're going to go before the judges, and this is now your opportunity to tell them about me. It doesn't really get any better after that. When you are arrested, not if, there's no if here. Jesus is like, boys, this is going to be tough. When you are arrested, don't worry about how to respond, what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time, for it is not you who will be speaking. It will be the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. And, and so the whole summary of this speech was given in verse 16. I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. Now, I don't know a lot about um, 
about animal husbandry. I don't know a ton about it. I'm fairly certain I've watched enough movies to know that if a sheep ambles up to the pack of wolves, it doesn't end well for the sheep, right? I mean, that's, a, hey, wolves, how you doing? That really doesn't go well for the sheep. And yet Jesus sort of sums it all up. I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Yikes. I mean, really, perhaps the worst motivational speech ever. This is... This isn't very motivating. It's going to be tough, and you're going to get beaten up, and eventually they might kill you. In fact, he says this. Don't be afraid of those who can kill your body. He, he basically says, what's the worst that can happen? They kill you. Not a problem. Well, I don't know about you. For me, that's a problem. I kind of like to not be killed, for, frankly. I, I, I like not death right now. But he's... Hey, what's the worst that can happen? Don't be afraid of somebody that can kill your body. They can't touch your soul, which is the deepest part of you, which is the most important thing. Fear only God, who can destroy the, both soul and body. Now, our ambition as followers of Jesus is to be obedient to Jesus. And the commission that he gave them is the commission that he gave us. Often we think, oh, being a follower of Jesus will make my life easier. And often it does make our lives easier. The problem is we look at Christianity through a 21st century American lens. And you understand that being a Christian in other parts of the world looks nothing like what we're doing today. Just last week in Aleppo, Syria, 12 Christians were crucified for their faith. They were given an opportunity to renounce Christ. In front of a crowd of people, they were tortured and crucified. That's the reality of being a follower of Christ in parts of the world that we never think about. But it's a reality nonetheless. We uh, find um, that if uh, anybody kind of pushes back on what we believe, that we get offended by that. Okay, uh, being offended isn't great. It's a whole lot better than being crucified. The the words that Jesus gave his disciples in the first century are the very words that he gives us today. And what would it be like? I mean, every one of those uh, people who were crucified were missionaries, except the 11-year-old son or 12-year-old son of one of the missionaries. What would it be like to be a missionary someplace uh, where it's dark And your faith might cost you your life. What would it be like? Because we really don't think that way much. And so Jesus is basically saying, hey, worst case scenario. They take your body. They can't take your soul. And so today, really, kind of what he's doing by way of motivation, he, he resets a bit our perspective on things. So our, our big idea for the day and we've looked at this before, is that we need to remember our soul is the most important part of us. It's the most important part. And then Jesus says this this edgy thing about the soul. And he motivates us. He says, hey, don't, don't, you know, fear God. And so, in the words of motivation, there are certain conditions which fear is simply the rational response. And that is when we fear, when we fear God. 
don't, don't be worried about somebody who can just kill your body, destroy your body. Worry about um, fear God who can destroy both body and soul. And so Jesus is saying, hey, there's a, there's a, there's a rational response at times, which, which is fear. You should fear God. Now, it's not like we should be afraid of him. It's just like we should respect him. Let me give you an example, kind of from my part of the country, Nicholasville, Kentucky. It's the town just south of Lexington. Um, it, it's a lovely little town, I guess. And uh, there were some folks who, who um, were sitting on the front porch. The story says that they, um, well, uh, let me read it to you. Um, my wife and I were sitting on the front porch talking and drinking a little bit. Uh, it's important to note the drinking a little bit part of this story, okay? I just, it's going to play a role in just a second. We had just gotten one of those electric shock collars for our dog, the remote control kind. We're trying to train him not to bark or leave the yard and so on. We got to wondering how far it would reach. So I said, I'll put it on and drive down the street a ways. Again, did you note the drinking part? Really important. I'll put it on and uh, drive down the street and you take the control, and when I honk the horn, you push the button. We'll see how far it reaches. It's a true story, by the way. So he put it on, he starts down the road, he gets a little ways, he honks the horn. So she pushes the button. It nearly shocks him into a coma. I mean, it, it is so overwhelmingly painful that he nearly blacks out. So he starts to swerve. Now, he tops a hill, and he's swerving, and there's a car coming up the hill. Guess what the car does coming up the hill? Oh, they honk the horn. At which point, she pushes the button again. At which they honk the horn. At which she pushes the button again. Now, um, considering the crowd, I want to let you know that's probably not a good idea, so uh, really that didn't end well for him. He ends up in the hospital, and the doctor said, What's all those marks on your neck? And that, that was the story. So, th the point of the story is this. Electricity isn't mean, but, but it is dangerous. Uh, I, I've had experiences with electricity before. <laughs> Whenever I get shocked, sometimes I change out outlets at the house and stuff. The other day I was changing out an outlet because it was not the color I wanted. I wanted a different color. I wanted it white because I like that better personally. And so I, I turned the breaker off, and I thought these three all went on the same breaker, and I changed this one, no worries. I changed that one, no worries. This one had worries, because it shocked the life out of me. I mean, good grief. Now, I had taken precautions. I had flipped the breaker. I just didn't realize this one was on a different breaker. Who does that? Uh, it's the same wall. What sort of moron decided, let's put this on a different breaker? Sure, it was the refrigerator, but it doesn't matter. Uh, Electricity isn't mean, but it is dangerous. And there's a verse in Proverbs that says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Again, it's not like fear like I have to be afraid of him. I have to respect him. He's not mean. The, the point isn't that, that God's mean, but he's sort of dangerous in a way. He's powerful. My daddy, oh, bless his heart, I love my dad. My, my dad um, was great to me, but I respected him. 
I remember one day, I was 18 years old, I'll never forget it. Um, we always did after church lunch together. And then my backyard was kind of big, and all my buddies would come over and we would play football after, after lunch. So 2 o'clock, everybody would come over and we'd play football. That was kind of, we did that every week. Now this particular day, <laughs> we had had lunch, and I had gone and changed clothes, and I had my football clothes on, and anybody that's ever played football knows football clothes are kind of tattered because people are grabbing you and tearing stuff, and so I had, you know, sweatpants and sweatshirt on, and it was all tattered, and my daddy said, um, son, are you going to play football? And I said, no, daddy, I'm going to a dance, like real sassy. And my dad, <laughs> I, I, I loved my dad, but my dad said, son, you can talk to your sisters like that. Don't you ever talk to me like that. It's like, okay, all right, all right, uh, ground rules. That's good to know. I, I didn't fear him like he was going to kill me or anything. I just feared him because I respected him. And I, I respected him because he, um, he was worthy of my respect. Look. When Jesus said, hey, don't worry about, don't worry about somebody that can just kill your body. Look, your body's going to wear out anyway. You, you, we know this, right? In the big scheme of eternity, think about how long eternity is. In the big scheme of eternity, there are those of you in this room today, and, and you're, you have unwrinkled skin, and your complexion is perfect, and your hair is ungrayed, and all that kind of stuff. And there are those of us who have gray hair and we're kind of wrinkly and we hurt when we move. And we're, in the big scheme of things, there's not much difference between those of us who are a little older and those of you who are, are young and, and, and vibrant. And in the big scheme of eternity, it's like 10 seconds between the time you're, you're young and, and virile and, and until you're, you're older. And some of us who are older are looking forward to that for you, uh, that you get to here as soon as you can. And, and you, 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 you know, when you were a kid, oh my word, how many stories did they tell you about uh, when I was a kid, I, I had to walk to school. Remember those stories? And it was always uphill, and there was a perpetual blizzard every day, evidently, and, and it was five miles both ways, uphill, it was kind of one of those things, and, and you remember that, and it annoyed you when you were a kid, but now that you're older, look, those of you who are younger in this, in this room, you wouldn't have made it a day in the 1970s. Let me tell you how bad it was in the 70s. If you wanted to know something, you couldn't Google it. There was no Google. You had to go read it in a book. A book, you know, with like this that had pages. And, and if you couldn't get it from that, you had to go look at an encyclopedia. And you all even know what that is, but that's the kind of stuff that we had to use, and there was no email, no direct mail, no email uh, that's accessible 24 hours a day, and you can send it anytime. No, you wrote it on paper in a letter, you put it in an envelope, you licked the stamp because you didn't have those peel and stick ones, and then you took it to the mailbox, and you put it in there, you raised your flag, and it would get there in like a month, because that's how it worked. And the only way for cheap music, you couldn't just Google music, the only way you could get cheap music is you got your cassette tape, and you got it ready and you were hoping that you would call into the radio station and you'd request a song and you were hoping they'd play it and you had your finger on play and record. <laughs> and you had to time it right or you were going to get jacked. And so, and then 
you'd play it and it was perfect and you were so happy and then the and, and then you would get to the end and the DJ would talk over it and you'd have to do it again. There's no such thing as call waiting. Call waiting meant when you called and somebody was on the phone, you got a busy signal. That's the way God intended it. Cordless phones did not exist. You were tethered to the phone. I remember one of the happiest days of my life is when we got an extension for our phone and we could go around the corridor. It was a big day for us. Caller ID didn't exist. It was a gamble every time somebody called you. Could be a bill collector or an ugly girl. You had no idea. You're just going to answer that thing. Cable television did not exist. We had three channels. That's all you got. And you were the remote control because daddy would say, change that for me. If you wanted cartoons, you got up on Saturday because that was the only day they were available because that's the way God intended it. The cartoon channel is from hell. Xbox and PlayStation, I don't think so. We had the Atari 2600. You played Space Invaders and, and, and Asteroids and my favorite, Pong. We had to use our imaginations. We weren't like you people. And you were a, basically a little block, and you blocked another little block. And there were no levels, no levels. It just got faster and faster until you died, just like life. That's how we learned about life. You guys wouldn't make it 10 minutes in the 1970s. Now, I say all that to say this. Our bodies are going to wear out. They are wearing out. And the older you get, the more cognizant of this you become. This is why Jesus said, don't be afraid of those who simply want to kill your bodies. Because that, that's the best they can do to you. But they can't touch your soul, which is the most important part of who you are. You are a soul designed by God. You are loved by God. And He wants us to protect it. To, to not be afraid of what somebody might say or somebody might think. And we, we do it so often that we... We hesitate to, to be bold in our faith because we're afraid of what somebody might say. Jesus often said, don't be afraid. But in this case, he said, hey, the one thing you need to be afraid of is being so protective of your body that you miss protecting your soul. See, Jesus said, an eternity without God is a real possibility in this, in this verse an eternity without God is a real possibility. In Deuteronomy, Moses gives sort of a final, kind of a final speech. Hey, this is final speech. And in this speech, he says, take care and keep your soul diligently. Take care and keep your soul diligently. We have alarms. We have fire alarms, car alarms carbon monoxide detectors, we have burglar alarms. We know how to guard our stuff, but we've lost how to guard our souls. And the Bible tells us that it is our job to guard our soul. It's to be, it's to be guarded. It's to be guarded. Now, 
What happens in life? I'm not a boat guy, but what I understand is the two best days in a person's life are the day they buy a boat and the day they sell a boat. That's what I understand about boats. But there's a kind of a big deal about naming a boat. Evidently, it's kind of a, you know, kind of a big process and it's kind of a big thing. And, and um, I heard about one guy, this is a true story. Um, he, wor- he was a college dean and he named his boat Faculty Development. And on his reports, he would write, I'm spending more and more time in faculty developments. Now, that's funny. I don't care who you are. That's good stuff. But it was tricky. There's one guy who has a boat in, uh, in uh, L.A. and um, uh, in the L.A. area. And uh, on the back of the boat, it says deserved. And th- this is the danger of our spirits and our souls is that the temptation of the soul is to begin to think that I have earned or I deserve all these things that God has given me. And the Bible says if, if any of us got what we deserved, we'd be in big trouble. We don't get what we deserve. We get something that's called grace. Now, have you ever been to a salesman and they sort of give you all the positives but none of the negatives? You know, this, uh, this washer you know, will do this, and this refrigerator will do this, or this car will do these things, and... And they won't tell you the negatives because it's really not what you do when you sell something. What I like about Jesus' motivational speech here is that he told us everything. Hey, I'm going to commission you to to tell the good news. This is awesome. And you're going to have the power to do some great things. And that's awesome. But the consequences aren't going to be exactly what you'd hoped for. And just like they don't always treat me well, they're not always going to treat you well. And there's danger involved. And there's turmoil, and you have to be ready what's coming your way. In Romans, it says there will be tribulation and distress for every soul who does evil. The the most important thing is for us to guard our hearts. The problem with sin is this. Sin makes the human soul unable to even want God. It, It separates us from God. It blinds us to God. And that's why we who are followers have this uh, obligation. We live on a planet full of lost souls who uh, God desperately loves. Each soul you encounter, each person that you meet, we talk about this in the last few weeks, every time that you go to a store or you have a, a, a server serve you at a restaurant or somebody's behind the counter at Uh, you know, Spinks or wherever you are, every person you encounter is precious to Jesus. Every one of them. Every person you disagree with is precious to Jesus. Every person who drives really slow in the left lane, I don't know, I can't really say, but I'm, I'm fairly certain those people are precious to Jesus. They're all precious to Jesus. And so let me remind you again, he says, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body. They can't touch your soul. Now, some of us sort of, we look at that and we go, man, I can't believe Jesus said, you know, fear God. That's kind of a bummer. I don't want to fear God. Well, he goes right on and talks about the nature of God. Now, look at this, because this, this kind of gives us a little bit of context. What is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin. By the way, sparrow was the cheapest thing. If you went to the market, the cheapest thing you could buy would be a sparrow. A copper coin was the cheapest piece of money they had. But not a single sparrow can fall on the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. 
So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. How many sparrows do you suspect you're worth on the open market? What about the person next to you? Look at them real quick. Just look at them. Well, how many sparrows are they worth? Don't say it out loud, but what do you think? Jesus is, this is sort of hyperbole. Hey, if God knows, if God is this intricately aware of a sparrow, if he knows this much about what's going on in the, in the animal kingdom, how much more aware do you suspect he is of you? Now, super interesting. We've talked about this before, but the Hebrew word for soul is nefesh. And the first time it's used is in Genesis 1. But it's not used about people. Let me, let me show you something. Then God said, let the water teem with living creatures. And the word creatures there is nefesh. And let birds fly above the earth, across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing, nefesh, with which the waters teem according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God said, let the land produce living creatures, nefesh, according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground, wild animals, each according to its kind. And I I thought it was kind of odd that the very first time the word nefesh is used isn't about people at all. God is intimately aware of all of his creation. Now, I know th- this text is going to raise that question. I get that sometimes as a pastor. People will say, you know, does my, well, will I meet my dog in heaven because your dog died or your cat died? And, and people want to know, is there like a, a, a kitty paradise, you know, where little kittens are drinking milk from golden saucers, you know, and they're all over the place and the answer to that is yes, the Bible calls that hell, uh, so, so you know. You know, dog spelled backward is God, so uh, just say better. Now, about creation, look at this text. Creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into freedom and glory. It's a super interesting text. Those of us who live here, in the upstate of South Carolina, and we get to wake up to these mountains every day, and we can drive a few hours, and we can be at the ocean and see the expanse of the ocean, which is unbelievable. Let me tell you something. I lived in Michigan, on Lake Michigan. Unbelievable how beautiful that is. I mean, it it is remarkably beautiful. And I lived in desert southwest. (laughs) Amazing how beautiful that is. I can't even tell you. It, it is remarkably beautiful. Just an expanse of nothing. And you'd think, well, that's not, it's just awesome. And then you see, in the springtime in the desert southwest, it rained it, in, in the town we lived in, in Artesia, it rained 13 inches a year. I mean, it hardly ever rained. But when it would rain, oh my word. You could drive out into the middle of nothing because that's all that was out there, nothing. You had a town and then nothing. And, and there would be these wildflowers. And they would spring up for like two or three days. And they were incredible. It was like God blanketed the entire uh, uh, terrain with, with color. 
and yellow and purple and blue and red. And there were these cacti and they would grow and they had these little arms and they went all over the place like an octopus. And they were really long and at the ends of these, uh, these, this cacti, these, these tentacles or whatever they're called, um, there would be these red flowers and they, weren't, they were just like explosive red. And, and here we're about to experience the color of the leaves changing, which I suspect is amazing. In Michigan, it was basically um, green and snow. Uh, so I'm excited to see colors, because they went from kind of green to brown and on your lawn on top of snow. So it, it wasn't beautiful. But this verse says that the beauty that we experience now is in bondage to decay, and it will eventually be brought into freedom. Can you imagine what that's going to look like? If this isn't even really that good, according to God, this is like, eh. This is like weak coffee. It's, eh. I'll drink it. It's brown. But uh, uh, it's not good coffee. If this is, eh. It's the uh, Hebrew word is, eh. It's, eh. It's in bondage, but one day it will be liberated. And, and can you imagine what that's going to look like? See, the, the way God is with creation is the way God is, to some degree, with us. He, he, he wants to liberate us. He wants to provide for us freedom and glory. The Bible talks about the new bodies that we get when we go to heaven. And the word that is used, the Greek word is doxa. It means light. Like we're going to have these glowing bodies. And, and the Bible talks about there's no tears and no pain. And it's going to be amazing and remarkable. I'm, I'm glad God has allowed me to be a parent. Because as a parent, I, I, I know how much I love my kids. And it's a fraction of how God loves us. And Janelle, uh, my third daughter, you all are confused about that, and that's okay. I get confused too, and they're mine. Uh, but I, I keep track of them, uh, the first daughter, second, third daughter. Janelle, uh, when we lived in Michigan, and uh, she sang on the praise team, and, and every time she was up singing, and my, my, all my girls make me proud, I'm just giving you one example. Uh, she would be singing, and, and I, I remember being in the back of the room and watching her lead worship, and, and um, I would be singing with her. I would mouth the words because I loved her. And, and God's love for us. It, it is sort of off the charts how much He loves us. I want to I end with a story because I think this one might help you a little bit. So a doctor by the name of Richard Seltzer and he um, had to do surgery on a, a beautiful young woman. She had a tumor that was in her face. And when he was doing the surgery, he had to sever a tiny little facial nerve that controlled the muscles in her mouth, one of the muscles in her mouth. And it left her with sort of a twisted, palsy look to her face. And he writes this. Her once lovely face would have the clownish disfigurement the rest of her life. She had the kind of face that would sometimes cause people to just stop 
and look at it because it was so lovely. No one would ever do that again. If they stopped to look from that day on, it would be for another reason. Her young husband is in the room when she wakes from her surgery. And she asks for a mirror and she looks into it and she asks me, Will my face always look like this? Yes, I said. It will because the nerve was cut. She's silent. But the young husband smiles and he says, I like it. It's kind of cute. And then Seltzer writes, in a scene of such unbearable tenderness, I had to look away. The husband bends down to kiss her crooked mouth. And I am so close, I can see how he twists his own lips to accommodate hers, to show her that their kiss still works. In Jesus, God took on this twisted, crooked humanity, and he sent Christ to love us, to show us what it was like And Jesus said, don't be afraid. You're more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. And God, I mean, Jesus, God showed the extent of his love for us. I don't know if you've ever experienced that love. If you've ever experienced acceptance, grace. Too many people, I think, believe they have to become something in order for God to love them. And God just loves us the way we are. We don't have to become something for God to love us. He loves us. Once we surrender our lives to Him, He wants to make us the best us we can be. This is His ambition for you and for me. And so we guard our souls. We're motivated to guard our souls to become the people that God has called us to be. The very best addition of us we can be. We're about to take up an offering, and then after the offering, we're going to sing a song, and after the song, we're going to be dismissed. I appreciate Mike being here to lead us today, by the way. But after all that's over, I'm going to stand over there, and if you need somebody to pray for you or with you, or if you want to uh, just chat, I'll I'll be there as long as people come up, because I've got nowhere else to be. Uh, Let's pray for our offering, and then uh, I'm going to have a conversation while we're taking an offering with my friend Gary. We're going to talk a little bit about what happened yesterday with our men in action because that was really a cool day for us. And we had an opportunity to serve. And so I'll do that in just a second. But let's pray for our offering and then our ushers can come forward. And while we're ushing, um, Gary and I can chat. Lord, thank you for this day and this reminder that our souls are precious to you and the most important thing about us. May we guard them with our lives and not be so concerned about our physical well-being, but about our spiritual well-being.
Help us to be attentive to your voice in our hearts so that we might be obedient to the things that you've called us to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.